Welcome to Seeking Paradise, Reflections on Spirituality, Community and Justice with Stephen Lingwood. Welcome uh, once again, uh, one and all. A warm welcome to you all uh, watching or listening to this today. Um, I want to talk a bit today about um, the climate crisis, uh, continuing uh, to talk about that as I talked about last time and about uh, a spirituality uh, for the climate crisis. That's the really key thing that is, is on my mind um, is, is what is the kind of a spirituality that will serve us in this time of crisis. And I've already talked a bit about resistance, but I want to talk uh, today about repentance. Or if you don't like the word repentance, maybe we could say inner transformation. But repentance um, might be a good word. When we speak about the climate crisis, uh, we can often be debating, uh, you know, is it the responsibility of, of big corporations and of capitalism to deal with this crisis? Or is it our uh, individual uh, responsibility as each, as each and every one of us? And last time, very clearly, I came down on, on the, the need to put the blame very clearly on the kind of neoliberal capitalist system uh, that we live under and those who benefit from it. And, you know, that is right. We do need that system change. But of course, that will also require something of us. Um, it, will, it will require a uh, change in us because that system uh, is what we live under. And it was also something that lives in us. You know, we live in it and it lives in us. So the struggle is also uh, something that needs to happen in the heart. And when I talk about a spirituality of repentance, I'm struggling towards something about uh, that which needs to change in our hearts. Because there needs to be a struggle against that neoliberal capitalist economics that exists within me and within you and within all of us. So it's structural and it's spiritual. You know, on this structural and economic side, we can name, uh, literally name think tanks in London and Washington, D.C. and their addresses. And, and those are indeed the powers of neoliberalism. And we can name economic theorists um, in the 20th century who kind of developed neoliberalism. We can we can trace everything that's happened. And we can talk about the politicians that really shifted things uh, in the US and the UK in a neoliberal capitalist direction. But it's also so much deeper than all of those things. All of those things are really, really important to know and to trace. But it's also what we're dealing with is a psychology. And so we need to think about it on that level. It's a psychology. It's a psychology that ultimately says it's okay to treat people as cogs in a machine. It's okay to be selfish. Greed is good. Look out for number one. And it has to be built on an ego-based psychology, a psychology that operates out of an uncaring self. So what I'm talking about 
today are a lot of it is coming from this really excellent book uh the psychological roots of the climate crisis by sally weintrobe and in this book weintrobe argues you know that within every person there's an uncaring self and a caring self and we have the potential within us to follow uh, both but in the neoliberal economy and politics an approach has grown that encourages the dominance of the uncaring, narcissistic self. So she writes of her own book. Uh, the book argues that exceptionalism, a rigid psychological mindset, is largely responsible for the climate crisis. Exceptions People caught up in this mindset falsely believe they are entitled to see themselves in idealized terms, have whatever they want because they are ideal, and dispense with moral and practical limits through omnipotently rearranging reality. So it's this narcissistic self, this uncaring self, that is the foundation for the politics and the psychology of neoliberalism. So as environmental lawyer and activist Gus Speth has said, I used to think the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. So we need a cultural and spiritual transformation that addresses that selfishness, that greed and that apathy. But science doesn't know how to do that because that's not the job of science to do that because that's spiritual work. The practice of moving from the uncaring self to the caring self is one of the great tasks of human living. And it's the work religions have been trying to do for thousands of years. And, and they hold some wisdom in how to do this. So seeking that wisdom is, is seeking that spirituality of repentance, a spirituality that shifts us, that does that transformation to a more caring self. The word used for repentance in the Christian Bible is metanoia in ancient Greek, the same kind of root as metamorphosis, that, that sense of changing. And it kind of means a transformation, a change of direction, a turning about, um, like a soldier going one way and turning about, that is metanoia. So in relation to, to, to the climate crisis, this kind of turning about, which we clearly need, we need, we're going in a certain direction, we need to shift. And that shift needs to happen structurally and within us. This has been talked about by someone that um, I've read um, who is a Unitarian Universalist minister called um, Ian White Mayer in the United States. And he really talks about things in the, in the same sorts of terms or, or, or Sally Weintraub is kind of saying, what is the root of these things? You know, what is the ultimate source of the climate crisis? And he says the ultimate source of the climate crisis 
is our spiritual condition. So he says, the effects we are facing today and tomorrow are determined by our actions. And our actions are the products of our decisions. The quality and condition of our decisions derive from our thinking. And our thinking is determined by our spiritual condition. To say the impending collapse is the consequence of our actions conveniently avoids our responsibility for our spiritual condition, which is the source of the cascade of all that follows. So deeper than politics, deeper than economics, is this level of the psychological and perhaps even deeper the spiritual. And he goes on to write, the first step towards a solution is to admit that we are beyond the point of avoiding calamitous climate change. We cannot begin our process of transformation into healing beings without admitting that our spiritual estrangement has created an environment that will soon be unlivable for many creatures and potentially humans. The second step is admitting we need help. Specifically, I believe humanity needs help from the divine and creative life force that is greater than the selfish interests of our individual egos. Anything shy of this confession will leave us with the illusion that we will somehow, through our own willpower and ingenuity, solve this problem. But we cannot solve a spiritual problem with intellectual solutions. We cannot solve a spiritual problem with intellectual solutions. So the repentance required to address the climate crisis involves the shift from the uncaring self to the caring self in, the, in that language of the psychologist Sally Weintraub. But we could say from, from the ego self to what in religious terms we may recognize as, as the true self, as a child of God. The mode of thinking that has created the climate crisis, particularly for those who are richest and most privileged, is that there is no limit to human ego power that we can keep technologically achieving more, making more, buying more, being more, and that we deserve to do this forever, that this ego expansion is more powerful than physical reality itself, which is wrong, <laughs> just obviously wrong. Um, White Mayer suggests we have to repent of this kind of thought process and recognize our limits and our dependence on something greater than ourselves. So he's really drawing on a language of, of 12 step here, language of, of, of 12 step groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, things like that. In this process of insisting humanity as a whole needs to recognize the mess it is in recognize that it has a problem, recognize that our communal life has become unmanageable, right? That's the first step. That's the first step of a 12-step program. Our life has become unmanageable. We recognize the problem we're in, that we have a problem, this problem that the ego self has got us into. And that then, therefore, we need to turn to a power greater than ourselves 
that can restore us to sanity, step two in 12-step programs. And in this, we can begin to operate out of the caring self that recognizes its dependence on a higher power. In 12-step spirituality provides a kind of a mechanism, a practice that shows what this kind of transformation looks like when we realize I have a problem and I need help. And that means a rejection of a kind of an ego-driven individualism that sees this, this independence and this self-assertion as the highest good. It's getting to that place, which is very difficult actually to get to, of saying, I'm in a mess and I need help. If we can do that as individuals, and if we can do that, in fact, as humanity, that is the shift, that is the transformation. Because authentic spiritual practice, while of course affirming the need and indeed leading to greater well-being, we still need well-being, especially for those uh, most oppressed in our current systems of power. We need to hold on to a sense of well-being, but also constantly practice repentance from the illusions of the ego. So it's the practice of constantly rejecting these illusions that I am the center of the universe, that I am independent of all else because I am powerful, that the pursuit of my path is all that matters, that I am better than other people, which kind of ironically is, is, is also the anxiety that I'm worse than other people because it's always about comparing. All that is the ego self. And when we constantly prick these illusions, we are left with the truths that I am part of the universe and a part of a suffering earth, that I require help from powers greater than myself, and that I have a responsibility to care for others, and that my inherent value does not need proving by my achievements or my possessions. How do we do that? Very simply, the answer is prayer. So many deep practices of prayer are essentially this, learning to reject the programming of the ego and operate out of the true self, not an isolated, anxious, fighty self, that is always anxious for more power and more control, but a self that is related, that is in relationship with others and with God. I believe when we sit in some form of prayer, whatever that is, we absolutely have the ability to encounter the living presence of what I would call God. But so often, what we encounter is the ego self. We sit, I think I'm gonna meditate, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna do whatever the practice is. And then, then what we encounter is the, is, is the thinking and the worrying and the obsessing and the churned upness of our thoughts. And we encounter it and we gently put it to one side. And we encounter it and we gently put it to one side. 
that's the the practice of defeating the ego defeating might even be too much of a violent image actually it's just just putting the ego to one side yeah there's that and i put it to one side there's that there's that part of me that is churned up that is anxious yes there it is there it is again and again and again and becoming in that practice of doing it again and again and again more aware of what is more real the body what is my body experiencing right now the emotions what is the emotional state the kind of bodily emotional state of myself right now and what is the truth of that the relationship that i have with 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 others with everything around me with the air with the earth with the people in my life with what i'm eating with what i'm buying what's the relationship of all of that with truth with the truth of all of it with what is really true and with god that is the depth dimension of all of it Prayer is the thing that makes us operate out of the true self. The self that I would call the Christ self, because I see it most clearly in, in the way Jesus moved through the world. But that's something we can all do, right? Uh, to operate out of the true self that is dependent upon the power of God, not the anxious ego self. You know, I'm trying to get into a pattern of prayer. I think that has become for me the most important thing to, to be in places of constantly trying to, to practice this stuff, which just takes, it just takes doing again and again and again. If you want to join me, if you're in, in Riverside, come along sometime. I'd, lo I'd love to be joining with others in my living room in practicing prayer together. A prayer is, is, is a revolutionary act. It's the most necessary revolutionary act because we can't just address the structural systems. We can't just defeat one unpleasant politician because there will be just another one. There'll be another one. But if enough of us find a way of repenting of uncare, as a politics, as an economics, as a culture, and build a spirituality, and therefore an economics and a culture of care. I truly believe that's a revolutionary foundation for a change in the world. And it's not easy. That's the point. That's why people have been trying to do this stuff for thousands of years. That's why we need to get a hold of their wisdom. We're not just doing it as, 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 as floaty individuals about, we're like, okay, who are the people, who are the ancestors who have gone before us that can give us some clues in this work, in this path to walk? But it's worthwhile. It might even be vital, I think. And what I'm kind of trying to do in the work that I'm doing is to grow within us this spirituality of repentance, and this spirituality of care.